0: Well, good morning, church. Man, it's good to be together. Who's excited about summer? There ought to be more kids in the audience, okay? Who's excited about summer? It's finally here, right? Moms in the audience are the ones that aren't talking right now because they're like, "Uh uh-oh. Yeah, Alicia says she has this eye twitch happening. It's because the kids are home from school, right? And so it's going to be a great summer, though. It's a beautiful day. Finally, we get some sunshine outside, and we are glad uh, that you are here today. If it's your first time with us, let me say again, Man, how honored and blessed and thankful we are that you chose to be here with us uh, this morning. And we realize every week we have uh, new people coming, and, and we're glad you're here. We hope you'll, you'll find what a lot of us have found, that Riverside is a place that we call home. Uh, this is, really is a, a, a place that we, we feel like it's a, it's a family of faith. And, um, and if we haven't had a chance yet, we want to meet you and let you know that you're welcome. You're welcome to join us and to be a part of the faith family here at Riverside. Well, today we start a new series and um, my daughter just came over and asked me. She's like, why uh, why is the city upside down on the logo? We didn't mess that up. That's on purpose. Uh, Some of you know this and we'll talk more about this as we go through the series. But the kingdom of heaven is kind of an upside down kingdom. So we took the Dallas uh, skyline there and we flipped it upside down to kind of demonstrate and show us and remind us that this is what Jesus does so often. And we're going to talk about that over the next few weeks as we dive into summer and this, this time of year where it's just a, a joy to be together. But we want to talk about the idea of, of what the kingdom of heaven is, is like and what did Jesus talk about. When he talked about the kingdom of heaven, well, if you're like our family, as the school year was winding down and summer was getting ready to to start, there were a lot of things that were happening uh, that are kind of unique to this time of year. And one of those things was that my, my two daughters, uh, Ella, Grace, and Emma, who are respectively uh, Emma is five and, and Emma or uh, Gracie is eight, uh, had their uh, end of the year dance recital. Some of you already know where I'm going with the story, but just hang with me. Um, it was the end of the year dance and It was really cool because not just our daughters, but a lot of your daughters, we have a lot of uh, Riverside families uh, whose daughters dance at the same little school over here in Capel that, that we dance at. And so it was a joy to be down at the, Maj- at the Majestic Theater in, in Dallas there and to see so many of our girls dance. And our girls... They danced beautifully. It was awesome. They had their little outfits on. The theater was gorgeous. It was awesome. Um, a little long, but it was awesome. And uh, we got to enjoy seeing them dance and do their little twirls and spins and whatever you do with dance. And it was, it was incredibly cool. But at the end of the dance, you probably know this if you've ever seen this or been to one of these, that at the end of the whole deal, they gather all the girls on stage. And this was our first time at this particular dance studio, so we didn't know how this worked. Uh, it, it was different where we came from before. But at this one, at the end of the whole deal, they get all the girls. All the dancers, they flood the stage with all of them, and they roll out this cart with trophies. All right, well, now you can imagine. Like my girls have no idea what's coming, but they just think there's trophies. This is this is going to be even better, you know. I mean, my son for baseball, he gets trophies. So finally, it's their turn, right? I mean, they're going to get this this thing they can put up in their room, and it's going to be incredible. But what my girls didn't understand, and truthfully, we didn't know either, was that. In order to get a trophy for dance, you had to, you had to you know, be dancing at least three years. That, that was like the first trophy. And then as you had danced more years, there were other trophies for different things. Of course, this was our first year with this particular dance studio. So they weren't gonna get a trophy. And so they passed out the trophies and, and my girls didn't get them. And, and Ella Grace was okay, but Emma, not so much. And so I wanna show you a family picture after, uh, after we got uh, ready to take pictures with our family. <laughs> You can see Emma. Some people thought it was because she didn't get flowers. She had two bouquets of flowers. That wasn't the problem. The problem was that there was no trophy. And so, just to get a little closer picture, at least if you would, there we go. And if you think that this was the picture just for a moment, let me assure you, it, th- this lasted quite some time. In fact, some of you were impressed by the length of time she was able to hold this face. It, it's, it's a week later, and if you say the word trophy, you still get this response. Um, and so, you know, it's, uh, it's just one of those things. Now, we're really grateful. We have really good friends uh, here at Riverside, some of which brought us trophies the next day. Um, and fortunately, they weren't big enough, but... Uh, we do have a trophy now, um, and so we're grateful for that. <laughs> it kind of reminded me as I was thinking about it this week. I promise this does tie into the sermon. I had to, I had to figure it out a way, but I did. Um, it reminded me, though, doesn't it, that that we live, we live in a goal-oriented world where everything has to have a purpose. Where you've got to be winning, and if you're not winning, you're losing. And at the end of everything, there is something waiting for you, right? Uh, this is the way we live. We live in a very goal-oriented world. And not just that, we live in a very trophy-centered world where, where we have these, these trophies. And a lot of times they are just participation trophies where everybody on the team gets one. And I'm not necessarily speaking against that, but that's, that is the world we live in. And, and it kind of creates this culture where to get a trophy, all you have to do is show up. Even if you didn't put forward any effort, you're going to get a trophy. In fact, parents, we even tell our kids things like, hang in there, just keep going. And at the end, you get a trophy. You know, this is kind of like the motivation. You know, hang on, you're going to get one if you just hang in and do it. Even if you don't like it, you know, hang in there and do it. And not only that, but it really even creates, I think, sort of this destination-driven mentality, doesn't it? That we've always got to be focused on the end goal and, and where we're going and how we're going to get there. And, and this destination-driven mentality really you know, eclipses every facet of our lives. I mean, now we have, you know, destination weddings and destination vacations. And even if your destination for your vacation is your own city because you can't afford to go anywhere, we call that a staycation because we have to have a destination even if we stay home because we got to be going somewhere, right? We're always looking forward to the next trip or the next event or where we're going for lunch or where we're going after this. And everything in our lives is marked by these destinations and by this idea that we 're always going somewhere and we 're always on the move somewhere, and what I think has happened for a lot of us, myself included, is that we 've taken this whole mentality of being goal oriented and, and 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 everybody gets a trophy and and, and always being destination driven and it 's kind of crept into our theology, and you know at, at its worst, it leads us to a a very poor and a very almost dysfunctional theology of view of God, view of heaven. At its best, it's, it's sorely incomplete because the way, when I say heaven, probably the way most of us begin to think about heaven is a place we're going to. We think about heaven as a destination we think about heaven as the prize at the end of life that we're going to get everybody gets a trophy we think of we think of this idea that it's the goal we're all we're all striving for that day we even sing songs like this don't we and don't misunderstand me I love these songs but we sing songs about the day when we will all get to heaven and this world is not my home I'm just passing through because I've got a mansion right over the hilltop this is how we sing and again these songs great intentions great lyrics I love them too But somehow our theology of heaven has been replaced with these lyrics from these songs that many of us grew up knowing and loving and not with necessarily scripture and what Jesus may have said about heaven and about the Kingdom of Heaven, and so we treat Heaven as, as if it 's this destination, and we, we long for it as this is this place that we get, we got to get to one day, and we, when our kids are born we hold them in our arms and we pray for the day that they 'll be baptized, why so they can go to heaven you know we even treat we wouldn 't say this, but this is what we do practically isn 't it? We, we treat baptism as if it 's a ticket to heaven. And when our kids get baptized, we're so relieved. And we tell our kids, congratulations. And I don't understand why. What did they do in that moment? They didn't do anything except receive what Jesus Christ did for them. But we say congratulations. Why? Because they got their ticket to where? Heaven. Why? Because it's a destination. It's a place we're going. Am I making you uncomfortable yet? Yeah, I know. Me too. But you feel the tension, right? This is kind of the way that we just kind of gone by default. And I don't know that we got there on purpose, this isn't like some great theology we, we came up with. It's just kind of what we fell into of thinking as if heaven is, is this place that we're trying to get to. And we want everybody to get to. And, and so what happens, right, is if heaven is, is, is the trophy, it's the goal, it's the prize at the very end, then what we do, what we begin to do because of that, because of that understanding is we just show up. And we think, well, if I just show up and I show up on Sunday, then if the Lord comes on Monday, then I'll get to get into heaven because I showed up, I get the prize. Or if it's a destination, then we spend our whole life planning the trip and checking the boxes to make sure we've got everything done so that we can get to where we want to go. And so it leads to a very inward, internal, almost legalistic, me centered idea of what heaven is. And I'm, I'm just not sure that mashes up with what Jesus talked about when he talked about heaven. So here's what I know. I know, I know, I know that I know that I know that this is a church that loves the Lord Jesus with all of your heart. I know that you love this church and I know that you love scripture. And what I want you to think about is, have you ever thought about what does Jesus actually say about heaven? And what if, what if heaven was never intended to be a destination. What if heaven, I just want you to think about this with me. And, and I'll be honest with you. Let me just be a little bit transparent. I'm kind of working through my own understanding of this. So I may miss some things along the way, okay? So if you want to come up after, after and, and show me where I've gone wrong, please do that. But I think there's something to this idea that for Jesus, heaven may not be so much about a destination, but there may be more going on. Because I think when, when Jesus thought about heaven and when Jesus talked about heaven, different things came to mind for him than come to mind for you and me. And that's what I want us to begin to get our, our hearts and our minds around. Because I know you love the Lord Jesus and I know you love his word. And what I want us to do together is, is look at his word. And, and like Jason said earlier, so often when Jesus talked about heaven, he started with these words, the kingdom of heaven is like. In fact, you can look this up. Over 90 times in the gospels alone, Jesus used these words, kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God. It's the same thing in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus over 90 times speaks about not just heaven, but he speaks about the kingdom of heaven and what it's like and what it's supposed to be about. And so many times he used stories to kind of demonstrate what the kingdom of heaven is like, trying to, as best he could, in any way he could come up with, to describe to us what life looks like in God's economy, how people treat each other, who share God's identity, and what life looks like when we participate, as we prayed earlier, in making things on earth as they are in heaven. You See, Jesus had a whole different understanding, I think, than, than many of us do, about what heaven and what, what the kingdom of heaven is looked like. So this summer... What I want us to do, just to kind of give you... Today, we're going to set up the idea, and then in the next few weeks, we'll, we'll work through it. This summer, what I want us to do is, is talk through some of these stories. We call them parables. These stories that Jesus told when he said things like, the kingdom of heaven is like this, or it's like that. And, and some of these stories, you know, these stories are world-famous stories, world-renowned stories. People that don't even know Jesus or know church or ever have ever set foot in a church, they know some of these stories. They're that famous. Stories like the prodigal son or the good Samaritan. Everybody knows these stories, Right? But Jesus so often used stories to teach us and to tell us and to speak to us, to describe to us as best he could, what things were like in the kingdom of heaven. Now today we're not going to dive into one of these parables just yet because I want to back up a little bit. If you have your Bibles, your Bible apps, or your, uh, however you have it on your devices, if you want to open up to Matthew 4, I want to look at just three verses that Matthew shares with us. This is right at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, okay? Right at the very beginning. He just called his disciples. He's about to launch into maybe the most famous sermon he ever gave called the Sermon on the Mount. But before he does that and before he does much of anything, I want you to see what Matthew tells us about Jesus. So Matthew 4, we're going to start in verse 23. And listen to what Jesus does and what he says. Verse 23, Matthew 4. Jesus traveled throughout the region of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. This is the kingdom of heaven. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. If you back up just three or four verses in verse 19, it says that he announced that the kingdom of heaven is near. So now Matthew says that Jesus is traveling. Okay, now remember the name Jesus literally means, we've talked about this before, but the name Jesus literally means Yahweh saves. So Yahweh saves is on the move. Yahweh saves travels. Yahweh saves is on mission. And Yahweh saves is announcing that a new kingdom is coming and a new kingdom is near and it's called the kingdom of heaven. And if, you, if you've been around this day and time, if you're hearing this announcement for the first time, if, if you're living in this day and age, this is what you have been waiting for. I'm talking about like 400 years waiting for. God has been silent for so long. And now this guy named Jesus, who names, whose names mean uh, Yahweh saves, is coming. And he's announcing a new kind of kingdom. And people are wondering, could this be the promised one? Could this be the coming king? What they're saying is, could this be the Messiah? And Messiah literally means anointed one. Who's anointed? Kings are anointed. Could Jesus be the Messiah? Could he be the coming king, the anointed one? Could he be the king of this new kingdom? And Jesus comes, and what does he do? He travels. He goes into the world. He doesn't wait for the world to come to him. He goes into the world announcing this good news that the kingdom of heaven is near. But he didn't just announce it, does he? He begins to show us what things look like in God's kingdom. And what does it look like? He heals every kind of disease and illness. What does Jesus begin to do in the new kingdom? Oh, He begins to set right everything that's going wrong. And the first thing we learn is that in his kingdom, there is no room for sickness and death. It's a new kind of kingdom, and Jesus is king. And he's coming to announce it, and he's coming to show us what life looks like in the kingdom of heaven. Then verse 24, you can understand why this happens. News about him spread as far as Syria, and people soon began bringing all who were sick. And whatever their sickness or disease, or if they were demon-possessed or epileptic or paralyzed, he healed them all. Verse 25, large crowds followed him wherever wherever he went. People from Galilee, the Ten Towns, Jerusalem, from all over Judea and east of the Jordan River. I love how one translation says it. It says, his fame spread. Jesus, very quickly, is becoming world famous. People are coming from all over to hear and to see what Jesus is saying and what he's doing. And I don't know if you caught this, if you know the geography of this. If you know me, I get lost easy, so I'm not great at this. But I know this. Jesus is in Galilee. Right right in the middle, right in the heart of his homeland. Right above him is Syria. People are coming from the north down to see and to, and, and, and to hear what Jesus has to say and what he's doing. People are coming from, from down below in Jerusalem and Judea, from the south. People are coming from, from the east over here in Decapolis, the ten towns. They're coming from all these regions over here. And, and even from west of the Jordan River, people literally from all around, Matthew says, all around them. They're all coming to see and to hear what Jesus is saying in doing. Why? Because he is announcing that the kingdom of heaven is near and he's demonstrating what life looks like in this new kind of kingdom. Now listen, I think this is a huge shift for us and this is what I want you to hear today because I think what Jesus is trying to do Well, for you and me, I think we have to shift the trajectory of our lives from trying to get from here to heaven to join Jesus in bringing heaven to earth. Jesus right here, he's setting up a great reversal of all things. He's setting up a great reversal for, for all the things that went wrong, he is going to make right. For all the things that have gone wrong, he is making it new. This is what Jesus came to do and this is what Jesus is wanting to do through you and I. And I can tell you this, oh, I pray often. I hope you know this. I pray often, almost every week, i walk in this room and I pray for this church and I pray that as we lift up the name of Jesus, that he will draw all people to himself. But I'll be honest with you, we can pray that prayer all we want. But if all we ever do is speak about the love of God and we never demonstrate the love of God, I'm not sure anybody will come to hear what we have to say. We, we, we will never have a voice in our community for Christ if we never demonstrate the love of Christ for our community. Jesus knew this was important, that, that he couldn't just speak about the kingdom of heaven being near. He had to demonstrate what does life look like when the kingdom of heaven comes near. I love what St. Francis said, one of his famous quotes. You've probably heard this, but he said, preach the gospel. And then when necessary, use words. And that's on on a very simple level, I believe that is what Jesus is trying to convey to you and me about this idea of what the kingdom of heaven is like. It's us participating, it's us demonstrating, it's us showing the world, not just telling the world, but showing the world what life looks like in God's economy, how people treat each other who share God's identity and what happens when we participate in making things on earth as they are in heaven. And you know, this is true. You've all experienced this truth in your life. I've experienced this truth in my life. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I'll just tell you my secret. This is how I got Alicia to marry me. Some of you've been wondering, how did you do that? She's gorgeous. What happened? You know, I'll tell you the truth. I demonstrated my love for her over and over and over and over and over again. And then when that day finally came, when I said the three little words, I love you, she didn't have to wonder if they were true. Why? Because I would showed her over and over and over again that those words were true. In church, if we will demonstrate to our community, to our neighborhood, to the world, that the love of God is real and true, and working to make right what went wrong to make to make everything new then when we tell them that God loves them they'll believe it's true because they've seen us demonstrated over and over and over and over again I I don't know do you remember this show I'm going to give this away a little bit but a few years ago there was a show it was a really great show Uh, on tv um called extreme makeover home edition any of you fans of that show you remember this show remember ty whatever happened to ty i don't know where i don't know where ty went and we need ty to come back this was a good show if you don't know this show i'll tell you how it went uh ty and his team of 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 home makeover people what do you call those designers construction people whatever uh they would they would select some family in need and they had a they had this bus they would drive into this little town and they would go knock on the family's door and they had this big bullhorn which had to be really obnoxious and they would they would you know come out you know Lewis family or whoever it was and they would come out and they'd be in tears cuz they knew what the show was about and this is normally a family that had been nominated and they had some great need. You know, uh, maybe a, a, somebody had lost a job or maybe they were working three or four jobs or they had kids with some sort of hardship or handicap. Uh, there was something going on that was, uh, that was just, that made this a really special case and a really desperate need for a family that was, a family that was really hurting and, and desperate for, for help and hope. And they would come in and the first thing they would do is they'd walk around the house and they would kind of evaluate what are the problems and what are the needs and what's going on in your family and tell us your story. And, and all along they're making little notes. You know, they're writing stuff down about what, what's going on and what this family needs. And then they would send the family off on vacation to some cool place like Disney World, right? And they'd go, go have fun and hang out with, you know, Cinderella and whoever for a week. And then when they're gone, the cool thing happened was that that Ty and his team would rally the whole neighborhood, the whole community, people from their school, from their work, from from all over would come together, this huge team of people. Within one week, they would completely make over this home. A lot of times, they would just knock it down and build a whole new one in a week. I don't know how you do that, but they did that, right? And then they get it, and it's beautiful, and it's gorgeous. And they bring the family home, and they've got the big bus in front of it, so they can't see the house. All they can see is the bus, and the family's just waiting there on pins and needles. And if you've watched the show, you know how this goes. The, the, the camera stays focused on the family, right? They don't show the house. They're going to show the family. And then Ty, and everybody yells, move that <laughs> See, you do watch the show, see? Move that bus. And, uh, and they move the bus. And the camera's fixed on the family and they see the house for the first time and it's unbelievable. I mean, it's just incredible. They have far exceeded their expectations. And the family is overwhelmed. I'll tell you one of the reasons why that show was so popular. They grabbed onto a truth, a gospel truth. I'll tell you why so many people watch that show and still remember that show. Because they grab on something that's real. That whenever we participate in making things better. Whenever we participate in making things on earth as they are in heaven. Whenever we participate in setting things right. In making the world as it's supposed to be. We participate in bringing heaven to Earth, And I'll tell you, this, is, this has got to be true for us as a church, too. I love what N.T. Wright said in his book called Simply Jesus. He said this. He said, Jesus went about feeding the hungry, curing the sick, and rescuing lost sheep. And get this, his body, his body is supposed to be doing the same thing. This is how the kingdom is at work, and that is how he is at work. Whenever we join Jesus in what he's already doing in the world, we, the body of Christ, we participate. We join Jesus in doing what he came to do and what he is still doing today. Because heaven isn't a place we're just trying to get to. If anything, it's a place we're trying to bring to earth. If anything, we're trying to to join Jesus in making things on earth as they are in heaven. And we've got to get around this idea, church, because if we don't, we may completely miss... The kingdom of heaven that Jesus spent so much time talking about. So the question for you is how do you do this? How do you join Jesus in your world to make things on earth as they are in heaven? Who in your life has a need that you can meet? Who, who around you needs a hand? What can you do in the community? What can you do in your neighborhood? What can you do, you know, for your friends at school? What can you do in your workplace? How can you participate in making things in your home, with your spouse, with your kids, in this church, in Capel or in Flower Mound or in Irving or Grapevine or wherever you live? How can you join Jesus? How can you participate in making things on earth as they are in heaven? Because this is what Jesus, I believe, is calling us to both do and to be. Yes, announce the kingdom of heaven is near. Announce there is good news. There is the gospel. There is Jesus who came and he is coming again. And in him there is hope and there is life and there is joy and there is peace. But don't just say it. Demonstrate it. Participate in it. And it's an upside-down kind of kingdom, right? It's not going to make sense to a lot of people around you because they're going to ask you questions like, why, how, you're giving up how much of your time to, to do what? To serve who? To go where? You're giving how much of your money to send that kid where? You're going to give up your vacation this summer? You're not taking a vacation this summer? You're, instead, you're going to go to Honduras or DR or somewhere else? What, why, why would you do that? Who are you? What are you doing? That's, that's weird. That's upside-down. That's counterculture. It doesn't make sense. That's right. Because... It, things look different. They work differently in God's economy. We treat each other differently when we realize we share, each, we share God's identity. And, and when we're on mission with Jesus, we're participating in, in bringing heaven to earth and it, it's upside down, but it's exactly the mission and the vision of Jesus for you and for this church that we participate in making things right, that we participate in making things the way they were always supposed to be. And if you can back up the tape to see what happened Before Adam and Eve sinned, you'll see the way the world was created. It was beautiful. It was perfect. There was no sin. There was no death. There was no darkness. There was no disease. Evil forces had no foothold in this world. And as the church, as the body of Jesus Christ, we're called to join Jesus on mission and to make things right, to participate in making things on earth as they are in heaven. Church, if you would stand with me. I'm really excited about this idea because I think this is going to get to the heart of the mission and vision of Jesus and I think it's going to drive us um, to join him in what he is what he is wanting so desperately to do in this place and I want you to catch a vision this week I want you to ask yourself the question where's one place? Where's one space, where's one area, where's one thing you can do where you can step in and you can make things better. Where you can step in and because of Jesus, you can participate in making things right and making things new. Some of you are already doing this. Some of you this morning, you welcomed kids into a classroom and you taught them about the kingdom of heaven. That sounds an awful like like something I heard about Jesus one time when he said, let the kids come to me. Yeah. Some of you do this all the time. We, 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 we hear the stories and we see what you do and we know it. And that's good and that's perfect and that's exactly it. That's got to be our heartbeat that we are on mission joining Jesus and doing what he is already doing. Because, because here's the deal. There is a kingdom of heaven and Jesus is king. And he is reigning forever and ever and ever over his kingdom. And he has asked us to join him in bringing his kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, to earth. This is his heart and his desire. And it's our prayer that he would forever reign. Let's worship.